This week I was sitting in a, a public space doing some reading, and I, I was wearing a face covering. And somebody saw me sitting there and called out, Hey, David! <laughs> I looked up for a moment, then went back to my reading. David! I haven't seen you for ages. How are you? David! At that point, I lowered my mask to reveal my whole face. And I told him my name and that I was not David. He said, oh, hey, how are you doing? Nice to meet you, Jay. (laughs) Obviously a people person, right? We live now in a time where it's not that unusual to misidentify people. In fact, I'm surprised it hasn't happened to me repeatedly. And that's because of our use of face coverings. And it especially happens with those we don't know that well or we haven't seen for some time because we've not been in social situations. It's a sad fact, this, and I think it will be something surely with us for quite a while. Today we enter the journey of Holy Week, a journey that takes us from the high point of of Jesus' triumphal entry through intrigue, betrayal, a trial, suffering, death, and, and ultimately to resurrection joy. It's a transforming journey, one that is deeper the more we enter in and the more we walk it together. Entering Holy Week this year, a concern that I have and something I want to place in front of us is that we not miss the identity of Jesus. I mean, that's who it is that we follow through the week. The challenges of the last year could mask the fullness of who he is. But they could also be the doorway through which we know more fully the truth and the richness of his mission and his identity. Psalm 24 is a great psalm for entering Holy Week. It's not one of the psalms printed for today, so you get a little extra today. It says this, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, And be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Handel did an amazing setting of this for his oratorio, The Messiah. Lift up your gates. I I listened to it last night just to sort of refresh myself and let it bring some inspiration to me. It's a wonderful part of that oratorio. But after he declares this, that the King of glory shall come in, the psalmist asks a question. The question is this. Who is this King of glory? That's the question before us. And the one I want to encourage us to reflect upon during each day of Holy Week. Who is Jesus really? And what is he up to? Who is Jesus really? And what is he up to? What is the significance for Holy Week this year, in this time, in this place? I I mean, after a year of pandemic... Death and violence and division. What does it mean for us to welcome this King of glory into our lives again? Who is Jesus and what is he up to? The disciples who had been with Jesus I mean, for several years now, right by this point, they'd heard his teaching, they'd been with him, they'd experienced moments of intimate joy and friendship with him. They didn't understand what was happening when Jesus entered Jerusalem to the excitement and the adulation of the crowds. They didn't connect the shouts of Hosanna, the waving of palm branches, the prophecy of Zechariah that the king would come riding on a donkey. They, missed, they didn't connect that. They just missed it. 
What does the passage say? They just sort of stood and watched, not understanding. The crowd missed it too, in ways, especially as we look to the way in which Holy Week unfolds. I mean, this was the crowd that heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead. And so they're flocking to Jesus because of this tremendous miracle. Their belief in him as the promised Messiah, the King of Israel, was growing like a rising tide, a wave. And it came along with their expectation that he would free Israel from its oppressors. He would drive out the Romans. He would restore the glory of the nation. Jesus' entry to the city is certainly prophetic, and it's fitting, but not in the way they expected. In Mark's account of Jesus' entry to the city, one we didn't read today, but uh, I would mention that this triumphal entry is in all four of the gospel uh, narratives, and very important because it sort of has that, that distinction. Well, in Mark's, there's this tremendous energy of welcome. I mean, that's sort of like Mark, right? It's, it's always immediate, 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 action, action. And there's this energy of coats being put down on the road in front of him, others spreading out branches, and those running along. We sort of imagine children chasing after that donkey and running in front and shouting. I mean, the fever pitch is building. This is what happens when a royal person or a conquering general enters the city, and they knew what would happen next. They had a really clear expectation. They knew the story. They were certain of what the king of Israel would do. He would free them, and he would offer them the freedom they wanted, the thing they most desired, which was to be free from Rome. But Jesus, again, defies expectation. It says in Mark that after all of this energy, and you know he's going to the temple, it says he looks around, and then he walks back to Bethany because it's sort of late in the day. I mean, we, it's just not what's expected. It's, it's, it's so against what everyone thought would happen. I mean, there's almost a sense that he's just strolling, looking at the temple. I mean, he'd been to the temple, he taught in it. You know, he bought an ice cream cone, whatever. I mean, it's, it has that feeling of nonchalance. As far as the crowd were concerned, this was an anticlimax. It was an untriumphal entry. What are you doing? You're the king, aren't you? Follow the script. (laughs) The disciples didn't understand. The people didn't understand. And we also can miss who Jesus is and what he's wanting to do in our lives in this time. Because we can write the script in advance and then expect him to follow it. I mean, we know what is right. We know what to expect. We expect to be able to offer a hand in greeting. Or a hug. We expect spring-like weather on Palm Sunday so we can process with palms outdoors. We expect to be able to shout and to sing. We expect Illinois to be in the final four. What was with that? But expectations are often dashed by reality, and it's the reality that matters. Today is Palm Sunday, but if you noticed, it's also Passion Sunday. This is not a mistake. This is not, hey, we need to like get all this stuff in here. It's two things brought together intentionally for our discipleship. Triumph and humiliation. 
We have them in the same liturgical moment so that we can observe the nature of Jesus' kingship. Who is this king? Well, he's the suffering servant. He's the shepherd of Israel who lays down his life for the sheep. He's the friend who displays the greatest measure of love. He is God with us, which is so much a part of Holy Week and not just Christmas time. God with us. The passion, that is, his suffering and death, declares the nature and the means of his triumph. During Lent, we've been encouraged to enter more deeply into prayer, to listen to the Spirit, to wait in silence, to discern how God desires to lead us as we slowly emerge from the pandemic and into a season of more active and direct ministry. And we know this is happening. We know it will happen. We're hopeful that it will happen, and I'm encouraged because I see some people here today that I've not seen in a long, long time. This week, as Lent gives over to the way of the cross, the depth of that prayer is intensified. Each day brings something new and fresh, something that can deepen our contemplation. Tomorrow, we reflect on the anointing of Jesus by Mary. On Tuesday, the church here, this building, will be open for prayer and also confession if you want to schedule that. Wednesday is the day we remember Judas' betrayal. Thursday, Jesus washes our feet and feeds us at the table. On Friday, Jesus is put to death as his friends scatter. And we hope we won't scatter, but we don't know yet. On Saturday, we experience the silence of the grave, and we walk in our own grief and loss. Those things that we've experienced in the last year will have, I think, particular and powerful resonance this coming Saturday. And then on Sunday, oh man, on Sunday, we will be ready. We'll be so ready for the victory of Christ over sin and death and all that is evil. So bring bells, by the way. That's something the pandemic cannot silence. Each day we've prepared an image, a scripture, and a piece of music delivered to your inbox to help guide your reflection and prayer. You got the first one this morning. And as we do that each day, I mean, reflect on the, on the image, read the scripture, listen to the, the musical selection. As we do that, let's be asking ourselves, who is this king of glory and what is he up to? You know, the disciples there in John, they reflected on what they'd seen. They missed it, they misunderstood, but over time they reflected on it. And they remembered, and they understood it later with the help of the Spirit. So also, we can trust the Spirit to give us understanding, to lead and to reveal as we press in. So the psalmist asks the question first, who is this king of glory? But thankfully, he doesn't leave it there. The psalmist then answers it. Who is he? He's the Lord of hosts. Let's be clear. Let's be clear that Jesus is king. He is our king who inaugurates the kingdom of God, who fulfills the story of Israel, the king that was meant to be. In the first chapter of John, Nathanael declares to Jesus, he says, you are the king of Israel. 
which is so funny because Nathaniel was the one who sort of, you know, mocked Jesus coming from Nazareth and all of that. And then Jesus said, I saw you. I saw you when you were sitting there. Nathaniel was so impressed by that, I think the Spirit spoke to him. He said, you are the king of Israel. And then Jesus, what I think is actually a, a humorous response, like, really? You say that because of what you saw? Just wait. Just wait, because you'll see the kingdom coming near you in ways you had never thought possible. <laughs> Throughout his ministry, Jesus proclaims God's kingdom. He says, it's coming, actually. It's here. You know, we cannot begin to understand the ministry of Jesus Christ and the events of the week that we enter unless we see that it's about God's kingdom and the victory of that kingdom over the kingdoms of sin and evil and death. If we ever needed to know that victory, it is now. And there'll be more to say about that on Friday and Sunday. Just know that as we ask this question, who is this king of glory, we see the answer. And we see it in large part in the work of this week. Who is it? It's the Lord of hosts, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Jesus is not a tragic victim. He is not. He takes each step of this week with intention, with confidence, with obedience. He's in control of the events of this week. And he's also faithful to steward the seasons of our lives. I think, you know, as we look at the, the narrative and the stories around Holy Week, most people missed it. But not the woman who anoints him with costly perfume. She knew who he was and what he had come to do. Jesus wages war against evil, against everything that would assail, would assail God's good work in creation, against those things that divide and distort and maim and kill and mar, even our own sin, mine and yours. Each step he takes this week leads him to that place of ultimate surrender, which he transforms into victory. The place of emptying in order to do the divine work that our Eucharist today will remind us of. Revealing, dying, rising, reigning, remaking. Everything that has brought us pain. Everything that has led to grief and anxiety and fear this last year has its answer in the journey we walk this week as we follow him. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord of hosts. Hosanna, 